Father, as we bow before you today, we understand you are the giver of life. And it grieves us, Father, when uh, we watch some of the things that we see on the news and even this morning about another shooting. And then we think about all of the babies that are aborted in their mother's wombs. And we think about uh, tragedies that take place like they did, like what happened on I-35 earlier in uh, this past week. And we just realize how fragile we are, not to mention all of the people who died in hospitals and nursing homes and hospice facilities and things like that that we don't ever hear about because they were just normal or natural or uh, explainable or something or expected. And uh, Lord, we want to pray today asking you to uh, comfort all of the grieving wherever they may be and use this time of grieving to point them to Christ, the one who died on the cross, who conquered death, hell, and the grave through his resurrection, and the one who is going to return one day. And thank you, Lord, that uh, because of what he did, there is a day coming for those of us who have trusted him where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow, no more death, no more unexpected phone calls, none of those kind of things that will happen and no sin, and not even the presence of sin or the presence of the enemy. And uh, we look forward. What a day that will be. And we thank you that uh, by your grace we can experience that one day. But until then, let us be salt. Let us be light. Let us be caring and compassionate. Let us take the gospel to people. Let us honor other people, as the Bible says, in honor giving preference to them. Let us be bold witnesses for Christ. Let us be strong prayer warriors. Let us learn your word and live by the principles of your word. Dying to self, killing the flesh. And uh, Lord, may we live being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, how different our life would be if that would take place. We ask you to meet our needs. A lot of needs that are represented here in the body today. And we pray that you would meet all of those needs. We know that you promised to. Uh, meet them give us the faith to understand you will do what you said David said I've been young and now I'm old but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread thank you Lord you are a good father and a provider for us now open up the word of God and open us up to the word of God that the spirit of God might move powerfully and mightily in each and every mind and heart And we pray, Lord, that you would bring lost people under conviction of their sins and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, for saved people, we pray that we wouldn't just be smug, assuming we've got it and we know it all and it really doesn't matter. Give us a hunger for you and a hunger to know you, to love you, to serve you. And we pray that you would open up our minds to the Word of God as well. Help me to preach and help us to listen and may everything be to the glory of God of God the Father, and it's in Jesus' strong name that we pray. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles and open them up to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, and we'll, uh, pardon me, chapter 2, we've uh, made a little progress, and we're going to look at the first eight verses, and for about the fifth time, Paul mentions the uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've thought about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ much. It's something that 
ought to be on our minds every single day and every moment of every day. Jesus could come at any time and we're supposed to be ready for it. At the same time, over the years of my life, even when I was a kid, there, was, uh, there were a lot of people who would hear about the coming of the Lord and there were churches that would kind of go crazy on the doctrines and have charts up everywhere and every message was something about it and all of these uh, bizarre things about the coming of the Lord that almost seem laughable now but they were scary when I was a kid what in the world is going on and some people sometimes the doctrine of the second coming sometimes it blesses people and sometimes it makes them go nuts and they go crazy and every little thing they find, everything they see. And there's some people who make a pretty good living on television, radio and writing newsletters and things because they see something prophetic in everything that happened. Oh, the president coughed. This is a reference to Zephaniah 12:3 and uh, all of that, you know, and you can go a little crazy on all of this stuff. Well, that's what was happening to the Thessalonians. Somebody had told them uh, that the tribulation had started, the day of the Lord was here, and you've missed the rapture, the first Thessalonians 4 gathering, and uh, that's why everything bad is happening in your life. And it was going bad in their life. They were under intense persecution, and so it started making sense. Maybe we miss the Lord's coming and we've entered into the tribulation. That's why all these bad things are happening to us. And perhaps they didn't know that Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. All of us will. Doesn't mean we're in the great tribulation. It just means it's a part of life. But there is a day coming known as in the scripture the day of the Lord <clears throat> where judgment is going to fall, then it's going to be a terrible time. Well, it started making sense to them. Maybe we've missed it. What's going to happen? This must be why the Romans are after it. This, this must be why we're being put into prison and executed. And uh, so they got all out of whack. So Paul writes this letter to kind of straighten them out. And in my mind, it'll straighten a lot of us out as well. I grew up in an era where every time you turned around, there was a book, there was a movie, there was a sermon, something about the Lord coming back. You remember, some of you who are older, remember the movie A Thief in the Night and A Distant Thunder and Image of the Beast and some of those? And I remember seeing those kind of things. They're almost laughable now because the things we talked about back then, the technology and how the Antichrist would do certain things and how they would control buying and selling, very primitive in the idea that they talked about. And yet now we can see technology actually moving that direction, the one world government, one world religion, and uh, uh, somebody tracking us and controlling us. I mean, all of these things, even the secular world, is somewhat concerned about these things. And these are things that uh, Bible believers talked about 130 years ago when there was no technology existent like that. Even the idea back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that Israel would ever become a nation and speak Hebrew in the land again was just laughable. And so they just said it must be all symbolic. It must be just something that, you know, is referring to a spiritual thing. And yet we've lived to see all of that happen. In fact, 
on April 25th, Sammy and I'll be leaving to go to Israel and actually walk where Jesus walked. And I'm excited about going to the Mount of Olives because that's the place he is going to return. Can you imagine what that must be like and uh, what it's going to be like when he does return? But uh, as the Thessalonians got all kind of... uh, uh, I had all kinds of angst about this situation. Did we make it? Did we not? What about the people who died before? Have they missed everything? And uh, are we in the midst of all of this? Uh, Paul is going to comfort them and he's going to soothe their mind. He's going to give them a little bit of information here that will help. And I think it will help us too. Now, uh, I want you to think about this. Jesus is coming. We know that. And yet some people act like it's a bad thing. Some people act like, oh no, we're getting close to the end times. That ought to cause you to rejoice if you're a child of God. But some people get fearful. And some people look at everything going on in the world. They go, oh, we're getting closer to the return of Christ. Like, that's a horrible thing. We ought to be excited about all of it. And to understand this, no matter how you live, no matter who you are, no matter what you think, no matter what you believe, get this in mind. You cannot change biblical prophecy. It is going to happen exactly the way God says, at the timing God says, and it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do, it is going to happen. It doesn't even matter what you believe about it, it is going to happen. So relax and leave it in God's hand and trust Him. He's not going to leave you out of it if you're a believer, and uh, this is not something that we ought to look at. And All my life, uh, I remember when grocery store scanners first came out, Back before then, for those of you who are younger, you actually had a checkout person that had to punch in all of the numbers of every item that they brought through. And then they came out with the scanners. Beep, there it is. Beep, there it is. Oh my goodness, all of the books and articles and sermons about this is the mark of the beast. And I'm like, no, it's not. We're not in the tribulation yet. The mark of the beast doesn't come until the beast comes. Who is the beast? otherwise referred to as the Antichrist or the son of perdition or something like that. So relax. We shouldn't be uptight about everything because the tribulation's coming. The one world government is coming. The one world religion is coming. The one world economic system is coming. The rule of the Antichrist is coming. And uh, you're not going to stop it. You're not going to delay it. And you're not going to speed it up either. I remember I showed a clip here one time, I think on a Sunday night, of Jesse Duplantis. And he was saying that God had given him a word that Jesus had not come yet because the people of God hadn't given enough. As though we can give money and speed up the second coming of Christ. Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. In other words, folks, it's already planned and it is going to happen Whether you like it or not, or whether you do anything or not, you can't speed it up and you can't slow it down. You can't change anything about any of this. It is going to happen the way it's going to happen. So relax. Trust God. He'll take you through it and He'll walk with you through it and He won't forget you and He won't leave you out. And you will be rescued as a child of God. And that's what the Thessalonians needed to know. Let's look at our text. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now, brethren, so this is not for lost people. Sorry, this is for saved people. This is a family secret. This is something we all need to know. Now, brethren, concerning the... 
Notice it has two things here. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. We ask you not to be soon shaken. That's the word for an earthquake, by the way. Shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us. As though the day of Christ, the tribulation, had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasy, comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. Perdition means hell. So he's a son of hell. uh, Satan incarnate. And he who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped so that, listen to this, he sits as God would sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. You know what I learned from that verse? Where Sammy and I are going to stand in a few days it's going to, the Dome of the Rock is going to be gone and there will be a new temple that will be built there. And this Antichrist, this beast, this uh, man of sin is going to sit in the Holy of Holies there and demand to be worshipped. That temple is going to be rebuilt during the tribulation period. Boy, how's he going to pull that off? I don't know. No wonder people are going to worship him. He's going to look like a god because he will settle the Middle East conflict and rebuild the Jewish temple. That's going to be amazing to see that until that first three and a half years ends and then all hell breaks loose and uh, people are going to wonder what what in the world happened. Going down to verse 5, we'll pick up again. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. You know what Paul just said? He is coming and he will be revealed and he'll be revealed when it is planned. It's not going to sneak up and it's not going to be something that God didn't see coming. It's determined by God, not the Antichrist or anybody else in his own time. He said in verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In other words, Paul is saying the reason you're under pressure and trouble and persecution now is because all of this stuff that's going to happen in the end times, it's already here. Why? Because it's fueled by Satan and by his demons. And they will always try. They are always pressing. They are always trying to do it. Why can't they? Because something is restraining them and that would be God. Okay? And so it's already at work. That's why you're already under tribulation. You're not there yet, but you see foreshadows, a foretaste of the tribulation. Every time we have a mass shooting, that's a foretaste of the great tribulation. Every time there's pain and suffering, that's a foretaste of hell that is to come on everybody who doesn't know Christ as Savior and Lord. I mean, the future is not good for you if you're not a Christian. The future is terrible for you if you're not a Christian, both in this life and in the world to come. And so Paul is saying it's already here and it's already at work to a small degree, but it can't do everything it wants to do because there's something holding it back and holding everything in place that you can't move and I can't move and the devil can't move. Okay, 
Let's pick up again. uh, This lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we read this and we'll pick up the rest of it next week. And let's just cover these verses. And let's think about some things that will settle us down and solidify us when we think about the second coming of Christ. Not all of these bizarre things that people come up with that 10 years later are laughable. And not all the things people do to make money. There are a lot of prophecy experts. They like to write books and make money. And everything you read about it, if you'll pay close attention, it's almost all speculation. What they Think what they believe will happen, what they uh, are going to predict will happen, but they're not as nearly as clear in the Word of God as it is in their mind. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Okay? Number one, what would help the Thessalonians settle down and help us too? Number one would be focus on what is clear. Everybody wants to focus on the obscure. Do you think the Antichrist is alive today? Now, folks, how in the world would I know that? How in the world would you know that? How in the world would anybody know that? He hasn't been revealed yet. We don't know. Maybe he could be, but maybe not. We don't know when that is going to happen. But that's what makes the money. That's what makes the intrigue. That's what draws the crowds. That's what does all of that. And yet when we focus upon what Paul said here, now brethren concerning the what? The coming of our Lord Jesus and the gathering, our gathering together with him, we go... Oh, tell me something about demons. Tell me something about the Antichrist. Tell me something about the world economic system. Tell me something about immorality. Tell me something about false doctrine and all of that that will be prevalent in the tribulation. Now, I'm not saying don't ever talk about that. I'm just saying it's interesting what gets our interest. We are much more interested in evil. It's kind of like when I was a kid and the evangelists would come in and they would preach, you know, who cares, about most of it until he said but Friday night I'm going to give my testimony I used to kill people I was in prison for 20 years I was a member of a gang I murdered people like you and all of that and they went oh oh I got to hear about that and do you remember when we would hear their stories for 30 minutes they would talk about all the sin that they committed and we were on the edge of our seats and then they would go and then that one day I trusted Christ and we would go okay the good part's over The fun's over. You know, isn't it interesting what intrigues us even in the Christian community? And we've got to be careful about that because what ought to excite us and what ought to get our attention is not about the Antichrist, but about Jesus Christ. It ought not be about what's going to happen in the tribulation, but the fact that we're going to be, according to John 14, gathered together with the Lord because he's prepared a place for us, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what ought to excite us. And so I want to ask you, when you read through prophetic passages, don't get all 
tangled up and tripped up on what you don't understand, but you ought to do a little bit of rejoicing and shouting and, and have gladness in your heart for what you do know. This world is coming to an end and Jesus is going to return and rule and reign. Satan is going to be bound and cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years and one day into the lake of fire. And we ought to be rejoicing in the fact that our Lord has already won the victory and the triumph instead of getting distracted by all of the other things which leads me right into point number two which is almost a restatement of the first and that is beware of obsessing on the obscure and what a lot of people do is they talk about the things they don't really know about they talk about the things that aren't really knowable they talk about all the things that their imagination can work up and they can't really prove scripturally they just tell you what they think and we get all enthralled by that and we talk about those things instead of what is really clear and really upfront and so Paul tells them that uh, I don't want you to be messed up by all of this kind of stuff what does he mean by messed up well he says this we uh, uh, ask you not to be soon shaken in mind their minds were messed up they were having trouble functioning here because they were terrified that they had missed the gathering of believers that paul talked about in first thessalonians 4 they were terrified what awaits us what is going to happen and they were fearful about all of it. Are we going to go to heaven? It, 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 does the promise apply to us? And how bad is it going to get? Now, when we uh, think about that, that would shake you up. And uh, here they are. They're troubled. They're having trouble thinking. They're having trouble functioning like they should. And he said, either by spirit. There are always those people that say, uh, I've had something revealed to me that you all don't know. There's always this special word that can come like that. And it was false, of course. Or by word, there were some people that were preaching this. You do know you've already missed it. The Lord came 20 years ago, and uh, you're just going to have to muddle by the best way that you can. And, uh, you know, hey, it's going to get worse, and, you know, you may not make it. And, uh, boy, if you mess up while you're in the tribulation and do anything wrong or take the mark of the beast or something like that, you know you're going to go straight to hell. And that fits right in with the theology of people who believe you can lose your salvation. So they use a lot of fear tactics that go along with all of this. <clears throat> and as a child of God, we don't have any reason to be afraid, do we? And this is something that we ought to have peace about. Troubled either in spirit or by word, a sermon or something like that. Or by letter. Apparently somebody uh, claimed to be Paul and wrote the Thessalonian church a letter and wrote them a bunch of garbage and a bunch of lies. And now they were all messed up because they thought this is what Paul was teaching. Maybe we misunderstood Paul before because clearly in what we just read, Paul said, don't you remember what I taught you? Well, apparently they got this letter and then they're thinking, well, maybe we misunderstood or maybe Paul's changed his mind or maybe uh, Paul's got a new vision and God's changed his mind. So they're all messed up. Remember, they're baby Christians. And he doesn't want them to be shaken up. And that word shaken is the same word that's used in Acts 16 for the uh, earthquake in the Philippian jail. This is how bad it was on the Thessalon uh, Thessalonian believers. And uh, it was all based on a bunch of lies and uh, things like that. And he says, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. 
Now, I'm thinking uh, about things uh, in my past. Uh, my dad really liked Bible prophecy, and we were in churches. And because we were in a lot of churches, being in the military, there, were, there was a lot of prophetic interest going on when I was a little kid. So I've heard it all and uh, seen a lot of it. Now, one of the things that would come up is that in the book of Ezekiel, uh, let me get the reference right here, 38, verse 5 and 6, there are some tribes that are named there, Gog and Magog. Uh, who in the world is that? Well, they uh, apparently are Russian ancestors. Okay? So, okay, I'm, I, I was born in 1960. That meant by uh, the late 60s, you can figure out my age. It's real easy. I'm always whatever the year is uh, on the end of it. So in 2023, I'm 63. In 1968, I was 8. 1970, I was 10. That kind of thing. Uh, put your thinking caps on and think military brat. Okay? Different army posts all over the world and all over the U.S. And think of two words, Cold War. Okay, if there was anybody that was immersed in all of that kind of stuff, I would be one of them. I went to church with soldiers. I lived in a neighborhood where everybody's dad was a soldier. We lived in a time where uh, military could be put on high alert. We were living in Berlin, Germany. The Cold War, I mean, that's where it focused. The border between East and West Berlin. West Berlin is 110 miles inside of communist East Germany. And so they encircled it with a wall to keep their people from escaping into West Berlin and then flying out. It meant that we were surrounded. It meant that the Soviet Union could surround us, declare us all prisoner of, prisoners of war at any time. I remember <coughs> hearing some soldiers that were in my dad's chapel saying that uh, at McNair Barracks in Berlin, where uh, one of the places where the troops are stationed, that the Russians could get to our ammo quicker than we could. That'd make you sleep good at night. And uh, I, I remember whenever we would cross the border and uh, we would go through the East German checkpoint. We weren't even supposed to look at them or acknowledge them or interact with them. We just held up to the car window uh, our identification that had an American flag on it because we didn't have diplomatic relations with East Germany at that time. In fact, whenever we would drive to West Germany to ship our car, we had a certain corridor, 110 miles, we had to drive a certain speed in a certain lane, and all these East German people driving by looking at your big American car, and, uh, you know, their, their car engines were two cycle engines. Can you imagine? Smoke everywhere and just like driving a chainsaw. And uh, so they're driving along looking at everything, and when we stopped at the checkpoint, we didn't stop at the East German checkpoint. We stopped at the Soviet checkpoint. I remember my dad getting out of the car and this Soviet, a Soviet soldier comes up with his weapon and he comes to attention. He salutes my dad. My dad returned the salute. And then they walk into the little sentry hut to uh, fill out the paperwork. I'm out there by myself. 14 years old, by myself, sitting in the car in uh, a communist country. And then that soldier comes out. 
He was probably about four years older than I was as I look back on it. And he's walking around our car, looking at me, looking at the car, looking inside the car as he walked around it continuously. And we had these papers that if something happened, if we broke down, had a flat tire, if we were stopped by the uh, East German police, the Volkspolizei, then we were to hold up these papers and it said in uh, English and German and Russian, I demand as a citizen of the United States to be taken to the Soviet consulate or to see a Soviet officer immediately. Okay, that's creepy. I don't want to go to those people or do anything like that. That's the world that we lived in. Nuclear war was threatened constantly. Uh, there was an arms race that was going on, and we were losing at that particular time. And uh, everything seemed to be going wrong. You know what the prophecy experts were saying? See, it's Ezekiel 38. The Soviet Union is going to take over the world. We are all going to be communists, and the Antichrist will be a communist dictator. You remember any of that? I remember a prophecy expert. I've got some of his books on my shelf now. Whenever the Berlin Wall fell, he was distraught. He said, I've got to rethink everything I've ever said about all of this. Why? Because the Soviet Union collapsed. And I was certain that the Soviet Union was going to be the one world government. Now, does the Bible say the Soviet Union is going to be the one world government? No. That is and was speculation. It turned out not to be true. Now, I remember when this guy said this, my father-in-law said, now, John, remember, Russia is still going to be involved. But at that time, it looked like Russia was going to be a nothing burger for the rest of world history. Well, how times have changed, right? So they're still there, and it's still going to happen. But the Soviet Union part was wrong, because that was nothing but man's speculation. That we should have said, I think this might be going to happen, because nobody knew for sure. There were times when you would read people's books and they would say, well, these locusts here must be helicopters. How in the world do you get that? Nothing but speculation. Nothing but speculation in all of that. And it does make a lot of money. They make movies out of your books and they do all kinds of things. Just be careful about that kind of stuff. And uh, be careful. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, it describes the Antichrist. And uh, here's another thing, uh, another speculation thing. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. And in the King James Version, God is capitalized there. So people said, oh, he must be Jewish, the God of his fathers. In other translations, uh, it's plural, the gods of his fathers. And it's a little g. Okay, well, maybe he's a pagan Gentile. Who, we don't know, do we? We don't know. And uh, it says he uh, has no regard for them. But this next thing, uh, nor the desire of women. I can't tell you how many sermons I heard that said, well, we know one thing for sure, the Antichrist will be a homosexual. Okay, it doesn't exactly say that, does it? It could be, could be. But it doesn't have to be. You see, when it says, nor the desire of women, it could mean, you could take that if you read it right, that the women don't want him. Maybe he's ugly. Maybe he stinks. 
Maybe it's something like that. Maybe, maybe he couldn't get a day to be tried, so he goes after the power. Couldn't you read it that way? Nor the desire of women. Women don't desire him, in other words. It could be that it is a voluntary celibacy. There have been people that do those kind of things, and they say, I'm going to give my life. I don't have time for relationships or anything else. I'm going to be single and celibate the rest of my life. Popes do that all the time, don't they? And so uh, what, what, what are we saying here? I don't know. That's the problem. I don't know. And far too many people are certain about uncertainties. Don't go any further than the Word of God, folks. Be careful with all of this. And uh, then again, since we're in the 21st century, when it says that he does not have the desire of women, maybe he's a transsexual. Who would have thought of that 20 years ago or 30 years ago? No. Who thinks about it now? I saw several of you nodding. Because we look at it now and we go, yeah, it certainly seems to be something that's on the edge. All I'm saying in, in all of this is it's very easy to get sidetracked by all of the things and call it, oh, they are deep. No, they're just sharing ignorance. You're sharing and drinking from their ignorance. Just refuse. Stay with the Word of God. Go as far as the Word of God goes. Absolutely. But don't go further. You don't need to step out into those waters. Well, what if we don't know? You're not going to be here. Don't worry about it. Well, shouldn't we fight against it? It won't do any good. Paul said it is going to happen whether you vote against it or not. Whether you march against it or not. Whether you organize it against it or not. No matter what you give to. Now, some of these things I don't want regardless and I'll stand against because they're wrong. But at the same time, not that it's going to hold anything off. You see what I'm saying there? And so uh, how many people have been said to be the Antichrist? Well, a lot of people say it's going to be the Pope. And uh, some people said it was Nero. I, I guess we can cross that one off. Some people said it was Hitler. I bet it looked like it at the time. If you were in a Jewish concentration camp... Or something like that. That would be an easy one. But well, we can mark that one off, can't we? I can remember when I was probably 13, 14 during the Nixon and Ford administration. I saw publications where they said the Antichrist is Henry Kissinger. You remember him? And uh, all of that. Well, I, I'm pretty sure we can cross that one off. Uh, the thing too. So we've got to be careful about not making a big deal out of obscurities. And so much of this kind of thing, and I'm sure it happened with the Thessalonians, it was the people that had this special secret insight. They were deep and they had knowledge, hidden knowledge. And by the way, you know what the word uh, occult means? Hidden. The occult is this hidden, mysterious knowledge. And a lot of people, even in the Christian world, act like that. Beware of those kind of things. Stand on the Word of God. Okay, let's hurry. Number three, pay attention to the order. And Paul says here, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, a general apostatizing, a tremendous rebellion against God. Uh, there's always rebellion against God, but this is going to be big time <clears throat> and a massive turning away. 
and the man of sin is revealed. It's not going to happen until there is somebody in place ready to take it over. And it'll be clear. And uh, this person is the son of perdition, the son of hell. And what does he do? He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God uh, or that is worship, no matter what it is. And uh, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's showing himself, but he's fooling himself, isn't he? So the temple is going to be rebuilt. Somehow a guy is going to come on the scene that unites the world and is able to even talk the Arabs into uh, moving or getting rid of the mosque of Omar that's on the temple mount so that the temple can be rebuilt. And when you look at those kind of things, you can see, as I mentioned earlier, how people could go, wow, this is, this is a God, not a man. This must be the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Look at all of the peace that he has brought to this world that no one else could bring. Wow, this is amazing. And he's going to make a covenant with Israel, Daniel talks about, and it's going to last halfway through the tribulation. Then he's going to turn on them, and he's going to sit and put his image in the Holy of Holies, and that's going to be untenable to the Jews. And then he's going to turn on them and begin to persecute them. And Paul said there is kind of an order that takes place here. And think about this. There is uh, <clears throat> the great apostasy that takes place first. And uh, then you're going to see the revealing of this peacemaker, this antichrist that's going to come along. And then you're going to see the amalgamation of all religions all brought together and focused on this one particular person. And then you're going to see the appearance of peace and prosperity. You remember the verse that says peace and safety and then sudden destruction comes upon them. So it's going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation. Fooled, deceived by all of this and uh, then they'll see his true colors and it's too late after that the temple has been rebuilt but it's turned into an idolatrous blasphemous temple where the antichrist sits wanting to rule and to uh, reign as god and so they're shaken up by all of this you've missed it and um for uh, the reason that I think that this happens, the rapture happens before the tribulation, because I don't think the Thessalonians would have been shaken up if Paul taught a mid-tribulation uh, uh, or post-tribulation rapture. They were shaken up because they were expecting it before, and now this persecution is coming. Why are we in this? What is happening here? And I think uh, the order uh, uh, here that is listed kind of gives us some idea about what Paul taught them. And so the falling away, the revealing of the man of sin, the one world universal religion and economy, a rebuilt temple, all of these kind of things are going to happen during the tribulation. It's going to be a part of the great deception. That part is uh, very, very clear. The Bible says in Daniel 7, the ten horns are ten kings who shall rise from this kingdom. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones, and he shall subdue three kings, and he will speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend 
to change times and law. He thinks he's big enough to change what only God can change. And then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. And uh, part of the difference why I don't believe that's referring to a mid-trib rapture is because I think the saints there, Daniel is speaking obviously in terms of Jews. The Antichrist is going to turn on the Jews after three and a half years. But that's not the end of the story. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. So this is going to be a great, great time when Jesus comes back to rule and reign after giving the devil a room on his leash, enough to hang himself, and then that is what is going to happen. Now those things are clear. And uh, there's going to be a gathering. Exactly when that is, we don't know. And there is going to be a coming of the Lord. And in between those two things, there is going to be tremendous persecution, tribulation, and all kinds of things that is going on. And uh, the Bible says that uh, the Lord's kingdom is different, though. The Antichrist kingdom lasts seven years. But God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. So praise the Lord for that. And this is the end of uh, what Daniel has to say and what the Lord revealed to him. And Daniel was shaken up by this too because it says, As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly troubled and uh, my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. That brings us to number four. How should we look at all of this? I mean, you may be amillennial, you may be premillennial, you may be postmillennial, but as long as you believe Jesus is coming again, uh, there's room for all of us in this because there's uh, a lot of things that are extremely clear, and then there are other things that are not quite as clear as we would like for them to be. So number four, rest in the fact of God's control, His sovereignty, as we say. Paul said, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. In other words, there's something holding everything back. Did you know that uh, my take on what Paul says here about this restraint is that the devil would do all of this today if he could, but he can't. He would do it tomorrow if he could. We'll see. He'll do it 10 years from now if he could. We'll see. We don't know. But it's not up to the devil. And it's not up to us. There is a restraint that God has put here. And uh, Paul doesn't identify what the restraint is. Some think it's the church. Some think it's human government and things like that. We don't know. Some say it's the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's never going to be completely taken away because he's omnipresent. So I don't know exactly what the restraint is. But I do know it is from God. And nothing is going to happen until the restraint is taken away. And you can't hurry it up and you can't uh, slow it down. It's going to happen and it's in the hands of God. So when you look and you read about trouble in the Middle East, just look at that and say, Lord, just like you promised. When you look around and you see trouble in the world, like these shootings that took place, 
uh, even recently, just say, Lord, you promised we'd have tribulation, but you also said to be of good cheer because you've overcome the world. Don't be down in the dumps. Don't be down in the mouth. And don't be hung up on all of the things that are merely speculative. And don't fight over them for heaven's sake. And don't be arrogant about all of that because there's just an awful lot here that is unknown. A lot of it is clear, but some of it we just don't know. And even if we know what might happen, we don't know how it's going to happen or how things might even change as time goes by. But we do know it's going to end up like this. The Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with his righteousness, uh, pardon me, with the brightness of his coming. And so the Bible is clear enough to settle your mind that God's got this, that it's in control. It's clear enough to let us know that there's a restraint on the enemy. They don't have carte blanche. They can't do anything and everything that they want. It's going to happen in the time that is appointed by God. And all of this is unchangeable. You cannot change prophecy. And it would happen today if the Lord would let us. But he is the one who is the restrainer. Whoever this is and whatever he's using, it's under his control. So uh, don't be a sign watcher, but be a Christ truster in all of this. And uh, I end by reading out of Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Because the disciples kind of had what we do. I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know when it's going to happen. I want to know how it's going to happen. And it says, so when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what do you think the Lord said? Oh, there is no kingdom. It's all spiritual. No, he doesn't say that. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, it's like a sandwich here, talking about the second coming and the kingdom and now ending on it. As they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has risen up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what's the point of that Acts passage? Quit speculating about all the things you don't know and get busy telling people about Jesus. Those are your marching orders. And if we had as many people talking about the gospel as we had talking about the Antichrist, we might, we might... Uh, have an opportunity to really be fruitful in our harvest and in our witness. We're talking about the wrong things. We're getting wrapped up and passionate about the wrong things. And we argue about the wrong things when our marching orders are what? That when the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we are saved, we receive God's power. And with that power, we are to go into every part of the world and every part of society. And we are to be witnesses for Christ. And that's what you ought to be focusing on instead of who the Antichrist is and all God's people said. And if you're not saved, you need to get saved because your future is terrible. It's horrible. 
But if you are saved, you ought to rest and relax because God's got it all in control and it's going to be okay and you are not going to be left out. Praise His holy name. Amen. Hallelujah. And may the Lord bless you with that.